Extrapolating from all their best radiometric dating methods available, scientists estimate that the Earth has formed from a gravitational quotation of cosmic dust and rocks orbiting a newly formed Sun roughly 4.6 billion years ago, that the entire solar system formed as a spinning cloud of debris, and as part of it, too, began to clump together, there was a point where resulting planetoids and any remaining comets and meteors were crashing into each other and clearing out space, until most of the lesser bodies had collided into actual planets. As scientists are now more convinced that our planet was struck by another world of the size of Mars and the ejector from the resulting impact produced our moon, this most significant of all impacts from space effectively marks the birth of the Earth. Everything in this world, from metal and other materials, to gases, minerals in our atmosphere, the water in our oceans, and even the amino acids that make up our life rain down from space. And we know that because it's still happening, although fortunately on a much reduced scale. For example, a 4.5 billion year old meteorite fell to Australia in 1969 and was found to contain 80 amino acids among other unidentified molecules, HUF extreme complexity. Of extreme complexity, the environment of the early Earth was very different than it is today. All the lead we have now was once uranium, so indications are that the world was much warmer and more radioactive. The crust was thin with volcanic activity everywhere. The atmosphere, atmosphere was poisonous, almost entirely carbon dioxide with no free oxygen, and the oceans were just as yet unsalted, unsettled broths of turning chemicals boiling over many geothermal vents. Yet, the earliest evidence of life appears surprisingly quickly with the oldest microfossils yet dating back as far as 3.7 billion years ago. These are archaea, similar to bacteria, but they're extremophiles capable of surviving in temperatures and conditions that would destroy any other organism. Viruses are not organisms because they are considered to be alive, even though they can't be killed. Very similar to living things, even by an offshoot, whereas the protobionts replicas autocatalytic precursors of actual life. Some viruses have DNA, while others actually have RNA, and this implies that RNA came first, which makes sense considering that RNA can be produced spontaneously in right chemical environments, and RNA can build DNA. Everything on this planet that is unambiguously alive has DNA. Notable features of biochemistry are that life will replicate and proliferate, catalyze, metabolize, and profoundly affect the surrounding environment. These pioneered organisms were anaerobic, they didn't need auction to survive. We still have some bacteria like that today hiding out in poisonous chambers in remote parts of the world. Some of these anaerobic organisms like cyanobacteria, also known as blue-green algae, use photosynthesis to get their energy from sunlight and they produce oxygen as a waste food product, just like plants do. In fact, plants do this only because they're incorporating blue-green algae into each of their cells, so antibacteria tend to build up layers of sediment, communal buildings called stromolites. While some of these stromolites are also among the oldest at 3.5 billion years old. So we once had vast um, colonies of microbes cranking out oxygen consistently in the shallow waters all over the world for billions of years. The pollutant they produced was first absorbed into the oceans, then rusted away all the iron exposed to the air and eventually turned the sky blue. The air you're breathing likely began as bacterial waste. Hmm, nice. Oxygen is also highly radioactive. 
um, reactive, which makes useful so other organisms eventually adapted and to exploit this new energy source, especially when they advance multicellular forms. So while algae plants were both adding oxygen to the atmosphere, many of the earliest animals took carbon dioxide out of the air, absorbing it into constructs of their shells. So most of the CO2 that was used to heat greenhouses is now trapped in fossil fuels, which we are now foolishly releasing at industrial levels far beyond what microbes could produce. While cutting down the trees that used to produce the oxygen that we breathe, cars both breathe. Do you see where this is going? We excel carbon dioxide faster than a few remaining plants can use it, but our cars exhaust carbon monoxide, which is poisonous to everything alive. And is the end result of this not obvious yet enough? Apparently not to some people. <laughs> Getting back to bacteria, they and the even more an- ancient and archaea are both prokaryotes, whereas all multicellular organisms are eukaryotes. Eukaryotes have much larger and more complex cells. They're most, they are almost a cell within a cell because their DNA is contained with a nucleus. Every eukaryote cell has a nucleus, at least initially, even our red blood cells, which lose their nucleus after they form because they carry more oxygen that way. Eukaryote cells also have a few organelles. Some of these may have evolved internally or they can be adapted, um, adapted from, um, from captured smaller cells through endosymbiosis. For example, most eukaryote cells have mitochondria, which were once a form of bacteria that were apparently enveloped and enslaved billions of years ago by some of the first eukaryotes. Mitochondria have their own DNA and they were reproduced independently with the cells, but also produce energy for the cell in a symbiotic relationship, as they have apparently done so since the dawn of eukarya. The earliest unambiguous, uh, unambiguously eukaryote microfossils are more than 2 billion years old, but still more than a billion years younger than archaea. The purpose of this video is to give a lesson in the cladistics, a monophyletic system of classification, meaning that each of these categories are clades contain um can um each of these categories or clades um contains all the descendants of that clade, like a set of Russian macho um matriochokia dolls in the old ranks of Linnaean taxonomy. A population might be considered dinosaurs, for example, if they bear the suit of traits for that group, but Linnaean, um, Lianen, um, what's, Lianen, um, taxonomy, a population might, um, basically, um, Lianen classification is paraphyletic because it excludes the next descent of group birds. The new system is phylogenetic, meaning that it is based on organisms' evident ancestry. You can't grow out of your own ancestry. You'll always be a modified version of whatever your ancestors were. You may become more than your grandparents were, but you'll always belong to your grandparents. So all of your descendants, even though they were started on new plates themselves, and consequently birds did not stop being dinosaurs when they became birds, in a monophyletic system, birds are still dinosaurs. As we explained in the last video, eukaryotes may have derived from prokaryotes by a number of different processes, including the symbiosis and especially horizontal gene transfer, but neither of these are evolutionary mechanisms. Evolution is defined as a descent with inherent genetic modification, but neither of these provide a clear ancestry. 
descent relationship being different lineages of largely unrelated organisms um, being mixed together in confusing ways. So glades could um, not fairly say that we evolved from bacteria because other processes dominate. Thus, the buck stops here. The most basic clade of the systematic classification of life are the three domains of bacteria, archaea and eukarya, which could also be divided into two groups of prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Every living thing on this planet is one or the other, so the question is, regardless of whether you accept evolution or not, will you at least accept that and admit that since your cells have DNA inside a nucleus within membranes, bound organelles, that you are by definition a eukarya? The earliest monkeys appeared in the fossil record around 34 million years ago and immediately divided into the New World and Old World varieties. The New World monkeys actually retained more primitive traits while the Old World monkeys are comparatively modern by our standards. Proticodata are the earliest world monkeys to appear in the fossil record some 33 million years ago. We can't sequence their genes other than their evident descendants in the current sister groups of Krikapathaka and hominoid Hyaya. Um, divides again between the lesser apes being gibbons and same eggs and the great apes which of course include humans. Now as it was within the cysteria monkeys we had lots more species of apes in the fossil record than we have now. Just like we had lots more species of human than we have now. We can't sequence their genes either but the relationship we'd expect them to confirm are already obvious. Creationists believe that Osteoparda shouldn't be classified as homomines despite their nearly identical morphology and obvious evidence of evolution. Some imagine genetic barrier, the last ditch of desperate in denial, of course. They say this having to ignore the molecular phylogeny of living primates published by a public library of science, which exactly confirms our position among, among great apes and our genetic proximity to chimpanzees, which we had already determined by other means. We're so close to chimpanzees that it might still be possible to produce living hybrids using laboratory techniques. We've done it with more than distantly, distantly related species than that, but no one has ever yet conclusively determined whether it is still chemically interfertile with chimps or not. No one really wants to prove it either because most of us don't even want to know the answer to that question. So it's still safe to say that chimpanzees are a different species regardless of whether we could interbreed with them or not. But all this implies the fertility between much more human-like Aspropholis and primitive men was a virtual certainty. And that's the virtual certainty. And not only confirms a phylogeny, but the evolutionary mechanisms involved as well. For example, beneficial mutations have been precisely defined and positively identified. Some of these have been shown to increase complexity and even added gen genetic information, depending on how you define that. But beneficial mutations were the result of genetic deletions. While studying human-specific loss of regulatory DNA and the evolution of human-specific traits, scientists were able to isolate 510 deletions from the ancestral primate's genome, which also caused significant regulatory changes, including, among other things, improvements in sexual characteristics of monogamous mates. Even the expansion of specific regions of the human brain can be correlated to a deletion of genes from the primate genome. Now, creationists will say, first of all, this is a loss of gene and a loss of information. Gene, notice the trend here. 
Yes, the obvious implications is that having a couple of chromosomes fused or having certain genes deleted does not necessarily equate to having less genetic information. Here we see again that creationist arguments are always consistently wrong. How many more ways can we prove that and prove it conclusively? Here's my favourite way. Creationists usually accept that taxonomy is superficially accurate, but they only accept that to a degree because they insist that their god miraculously conjured a series of definitely different kinds of animals, which reach specifically created separate from each other. Creationists allow that each of these kinds have since diversified, but only within mysterious limits which they refuse to originally define. And they say that no lineage could ever be traced beyond their alleged original archetypes. However, they're unable to identify what those kinds are, how many there are, or how they could be recognised. I would challenge them to show me their mystic divisions among the following taxa. Are Malovis related to Pacquiards with ducks and Muscobies? Are all ducks also related to geese and other anthropoforms? Are all anthropoforms related to Galliforms and other neonates? Are neonates related to paleomates and are, they ex and are any extent birds related to Hesperamus, Ignorance and Nansenatatora? Other yearn are, are other yearnings, yearnings related to Confusosaurus or Archaeochrytids? Archaeochrytids? Are all early apes related to Microraptor, Velociraptor or other non-avian dinosaurs? Are dinosaurs related to pesosaurs, phytosaurs, and other archosaurs? If evolution from common ancestry is not true and some flavour of special creation of different and yet unidentified kinds is true, then there would be some surface levels in the cladogram where you would accept a natural evolutionary ancestry. But there must also be subsequent levels in that twin-nested hierarchy, which life forms would no longer be the same kind and wouldn't be biologically related anymore. At that point, they would be magically created separate kinds and distinctly unique from those listed around it, as well as those apparently ancestral to it. So, are Bengal tigers related to Burmese tigers and all other tiger species? Are all known species of tiger related to each other and all other panthers? Are all panthers related to felines, grandmaster cats and other felids? Are felids related to nimrods, virids, or how can we tell? Are all felida related to any or all other members of the order Carnivora? Those who promote creationism, the wordering inanity, should be able to show exactly where and why uniquely created kinds could not be grouped together with any parent clades, which would otherwise only imply an evolutionary ancestry. Throw away any other argument you might be thinking of. None of them compared to this. If creationism is true of anything more than a single ancestry of animals and all other forms of animal, and if not the entire eukaryote collective, or if the concept of common ancestry is fundamentally mistaken, then there must be a point in the tree where the tax, taxina, uh, taxonomy falls where what we thought was related to everything is really unrelated to anything else. And unless you're a Scientologist or an Iranian, that criteria must apply to other animals besides ourselves. So is the short-tailed iguana related to the Paranti and all other Australian guanas? Are all, gu are all, are all Australian guanas related to each other and to the African and Indies and monotars? Are today's terrestrial varanids related to Cretaceous, mosasaurs and Varanis? Related to any other morph, um, 
related to any other anglomorphs, including snakes. And are anglomorphs also related to skinkivores and geckos? Are all sway regatas related to iguanas and other soy mates? Are all squalamata related to each other and to all lapidots and petasaurs related to other clapiosaurs? Are lapidots or morphis? Are lapidots or morphis related to archosaurs and other diopsids? Are all diopsids related to anopsids and synopsis? Are reptiles related to each other and all of the animites? Are all other animites related to others and all other tetrapods? Are all other tetrapods related to each other and all of, and all other vertebrates and so on? Which of these are related? Which of these are created? Remember, if there is any validity to creationism whatsoever, or if there is some critical flaw in the overall theory of evolution from common ancestry, that that flaw must be found in Homo sapiens or simply can't be found anywhere else. Did you just say that evolution is just a theory as if it's only a theory and not also a fact, as if to imply that the foundation of modern biology is somehow uncertain? As if no one knows for sure or can prove that I am wrong so I can still believe whatever I want? No, 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 no. It's not like that at all. I've covered this before. It's one of the foundational falses of creationism, but since this is a practice of a points refuted a thousand times and it bears repeating, there's a difference between a scientific theory and a mathematical theory, and both are different from the colloquial notion that a theory is just a blind guess or empty baseless assertion or speculation like religion is. A scientific theory is a body of knowledge that begins with hypothesis which could be interpreted as a guess, but one that is testable, meaning experiments can be devised wherein that hypothesis can either be verified or falsified. Those are the minimal requirements, or else it doesn't even count as a hypothesis because there has to be some way to show whether it is supported or should be discarded. Those are the only choices. So notice the obvious reason why religious beliefs will never submit to that, because faith doesn't want to figure out how things really are. Faith wants to make believe something else instead, regardless of the truth. A scientific theory also has to be based on unexplained factual observation of natural phenomena, which is another thing religion doesn't and cannot do. For one thing, nothing that religion ever believes is ever observed. Instead, they all made up, likewise saying God did it, doesn't explain how anything happened or why things are the way they are. You can call it a miracle, but that doesn't explain anything, and it isn't true either. You can't call it truth unless you know that it and show that it is true. Understand that the truth is what the facts are, and unsupported assertions have no more validity than the claims that have been proven wrong, so any facts or knowledge you cite better be objectively demonstrable, whilst you're making things up and talking out of your ass. If you can't show it, then you don't know it. And if you can't show the truth of it, then you can't say there is any truth to it. And if you can't give us a reason to believe you, we have no reason to believe you, which is a very pretty good reason not to. It's not like a theory could be proven and then become a law either, and natural laws are just the summary statements or equations men devise trying to understand what they observed. Theories are higher than laws. A scientific theory is a, is a very accurate explanation with practical application encompassing a body of facts, natural laws and other associated hypotheses within that particular field of study. Intelligent design isn't a competing theory either. Creationism meets exactly none of the criteria required of a scientific theory. It isn't even a hypothesis because it can't even be tested, and it doesn't even have any possible potential reality to it either. 
It is literally no more than a delusion, a fixed belief that will not change despite evidence to the contrary. The criteria required for other theory has been refined in modern times. It's much more strict now with the standards much higher. That's why no scientific theory has been disproven for more than a century because nowadays hypotheses kind of have to be proved already before they can graduate to the level of theory. And let me explain. There is a rule that theories can only be disproved, that they can never be proven in the positive sense, no matter how certainly true they obviously are. That's why evolution is still a theory, because no one has been able to disprove it the way we've already disproven so many other claims of creationism. Theory is the highest level of confidence science has and can achieve. It's also close to proven as anything can be if one applies the mathematical definition of proof, but that's not the one that creationists use, so it's not the one I'll use when explaining it to them. Every modern scientific theory is a hypothesis that has to be effectively proven, at least in a colloquial sense, by having profound explainative power and information is concordant with it and being constantly supported all available evidence with contradictions having already withstood prolonged substantial batteries of tests and critical analysis and peer review. If we're using the same terms of a court of law, then evolution has been proven by an overriding preponderance of evidence beyond reasonable doubt. The same goes for other scientific theories too. Einstein's theory of relativity, for example, was effectively proven in the same sense, both with observations of solar-eclipse warping light beams in 1919 and again with the discovery of gravity waves at a century later. The National Academy of Science declares that evolution is both a fact and a theory because ever, every modern scientific theory both is and explains established facts like the theory of gravity, relativity, tectonic plate theory, atomic theory, oxygen theory, cell theory and theory of disease. We know that cells are the basis of living organisms, that diseases are caused by germs and that all matter is made of atoms. These are all facts as well as theories. If you've ever said this to anyone before, surely... They've corrected such a glaring error, and you must have known since then that you're not being honest. Now, so when you say that evolution is just a theory, you hear you admitting that it is only a theory of biodiversity there ever was, and that it is the best supported, most evidential, credible, factual, accurate, pragmatic, and truthful explanation there is for the origin of species.